Well, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome to the show. Here's your host, Rob Elliott. And today, you know, I thought we'd do something a little bit different. I love to do my own lawns, but around the world, a lot of people don't. So I thought I'd go and interview someone who specialises in looking after other people's lawns. But his journey and his story to where he got here is just amazing. Welcome to the show, Brian Clayton. How are you, buddy? Rob, thanks for having me on your show. It's great to be here. So, mate, we'd like to tell all the listeners, what part of the world are you from? I live in Nashville, Tennessee, in the southern part of the United States. So did you grow up there? I did. I grew up uh, outside of Nashville in a little town, uh, a little suburb of Nashville. And, yep. you know, looking back, that's what, that, where you grow up and where you live matters. And for me, you know, the, the south and, and the area around Nashville is, is a vibrant, growing area. And so that, that, yep. that afforded me a lot of opportunities growing up. So does, is it true that the biggest and the most popular class in Nashville is either bourbon making or music? You know, we're known for that. We're, we're, we are one of the only cities in the world that owns a genre of music. So we are music city. We own country music. So, yeah, that's, that's our, I guess, or you could say our chief export, that and Jack Daniels. Uh, I'm not going to knock you back. I'm a beautiful uh, drinker of the old JD. I love it very much. <laughs> so what were you like at school? Did you sit down the back and hide or were you up the front? You know, I was uh, I was an average uh, student in, in high school and I and, uh, played played a little bit of sports in, in high school. Yeah. Uh, for me, you know, I actually started my first business in high school. I started mowing yards really? uh, as a as a way to make make extra cash. My dad yeah. actually forced me to mow my first yard. He said, hey, mm-hmm. get off your butt. You got a job to do. You're going to go cut the neighbor's grass. Yeah. Luckily, he did that because that stuck with me. And I just kept mowing yards all through high school and all through college. And, and it just stuck with me. I, I love the idea of being able to be in charge of how much money I wanted to make and how much money I want, how much I wanted to work. And, uh, I never looked back and, uh, stuck with that first little lawn mowing business for 15 years, wow. eventually, eventually growing it to one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, where I live, uh, getting it over 150 employees, yeah. uh, and eight figures in revenue. So that was a hell of a journey. So what did you study at university? So when I went to college and, and really the, the only reason I went to college was because my mom was a professor there and I didn't yeah. want to let her down. Uh, but I went to night school and it took me like seven years to get my undergrad, but I did study business. Yep. And uh, as I was going through college, uh, taking business classes and running a small business, I was always like this just astounded as the like, this isn't how real business is. You know, it was like there was a disconnect between yeah, what they true. were teaching. And what I was experiencing uh, running my, my little small business, like this is not real marketing. This is not real. This is not how you deal with customers. You know, it's, it was just funny. Uh, but, uh, but I did take, I did get a business degree and, and a little bit of it applied to what I was doing, but not much. Was it hard for you to, once you finished school and started college to grow that business of yours? Or were you lucky that you had a mentor on your, your parents to be able to say, do this, do that? Or did you just make your own mistakes and waffle your way through it. Yeah, for, it was a lot of trial and error. You know, we're talking uh, 20 years ago. So yep. there was no there was no YouTube university. There were mm. no podcasts like this one. You know, you had books and maybe some cassette tapes that you True. could buy. But True. but uh, there was no like uh, today is so much easier to learn how to run a business. But back then we didn't have these things. And so there was a lot of trial and error. When I graduated college, I had to make a decision. You know, was I going to go into the job market 
and basically take a pay cut or was I going to stick with this lawn mowing business I had built? And uh, I didn't really want to be a lawn guy. I didn't really want to be a grass cutting guy. It's not what I went to college for, but I really saw business ownership as my lane to make something of myself, to really improve my position and station in life. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to see how far I can take this and made a little business plan and, and, uh, and started working my butt off and, and figured it out as I went. And, and I had a, you know, I, I had a few mentors, but uh, a lot of it was just learning from bad mm-hmm. judgment and experience and then, and then not making the same mistakes over and over again. took a so long time, you, but I figured it out. When you first started out, what would you say would have been your biggest mistake? You know, for me, uh, it was not understanding the unit economics of the business. You know, it took mm-hmm. me a long time to figure out that basically I was in the business of selling man hours. You know, I, I I had, whether I had one employee or 10 or a hundred, it was basically, this is, these are the number of man hours we're selling to customers. And this is how much it costs to deliver that man hour. And this is what our margin is. As simple as that is, it, it took me years just to get wrap my head around that. And there was a lot of times where I wasn't making any money on, on the number of man hours we were producing. And uh, after I figured that out and figured out how to delegate and figured mm. out how to how to nail the unit economics at the core of the business, was well, only then was I able to scale it. Why do you think not enough young people go out and start their business? Rather, they take the safe route. I'll go to college or uni. I'll get a job. I'll get married. May not get married. I may have some kids. I mean, to me, that's a boring way of doing it. But in my generation... You were just told to do it. You did what your parents said. You you were a square peg in a round hole. You went, no, I'm going to do this myself. Yeah, you know, for me, one one reason is we're not taught entrepreneurship. We're not mm-hmm. taught business ownership. We're not taught what it means to own your own business. And and you know, like I like I mentioned, going to college, there was a mm-hmm. big disconnect between what they were talking about and what it was actually uh, like in the real business world. And so. I think we're not taught this stuff. We're not exposed to these things. So unless mm. you you have you know somebody in your circle that you've seen kind of do this, uh, it's it's kind of a big leap of faith. And I think a lot of the decisions we make in life are are based upon things we've already done yes. or things that we have seen. Yes. And so if you're not exposed to entrepreneurship, it's almost like a really really scary kind of leap of faith that you're taking because you don't really know the first thing about it. So. I think nowadays, you know, with, 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 with as much content as there is out there and yeah, sure. A lot of it could be Mm. scammy, but, but, uh, but I think we can learn these things and and gain inspiration and gain a a roadmap almost from folks that are doing it. And, uh, and so now it's easier in that way. But uh, for me, uh, luckily I was exposed to it at, at a young age. I understood that why would I want to go work for somebody else when I can work my butt off and for myself yeah. and, and, uh, and improve my station in life and also create opportunities for the people who are working with me. That was a lot of fun in that first business. And, and now with my current business, you know, it's, it's why I do what I do. Do you think now it's easier for someone to start out in their own than what it was when you began? In, in many ways, it's easier, but in many ways, it's harder. It's probably yeah. easier to get started than it ever has been because a lot of the unknowns are, are demystified, you know, and, and so in many ways it's easier to get started, but it's probably harder than ever to scale. It's yeah. probably harder than ever to break out. Um, you know, 
and a lot of people will tell you this, that, that, that are you know, 10 years, 20 years older than me, they'll even tell you like, look, it was so much easier in the eighties or it was so much easier in the nineties. And, and, uh, and, and in many ways I can see that, um, because, because all of the, all of the opportunities weren't yet competed away. And so now it's, it's, it's more hyper-competitive, but I think there's more opportunity in terms of, of technology and, and what things, what things are happening in tech that it's still very much still day one. So on the one hand, it's easier than ever, but on the other hand, it could be harder because it's probably harder to compete and, and scale. Yeah, well, and, uh, yeah. and you kind of get stuck in that kind of like that, that, that middle part where are you really just self-employed? Do you really just have a nice like uh, job that you've made mm. for your, or are you building an actual business? I think the gap between those two is bigger than it's ever been. But if you can stick it out, you can you can definitely uh, create something out of nothing. So twenty years ago, there really wasn't the digital digital age. No, no, and and uh, you know, as it relates to starting a business, you literally didn't have the tools that we have now. Everything no. from you know stuff like payroll and bookkeeping and and hiring and training yeah. and organizing your business marketing all of this stuff was 10 times harder back then than it is today now you know like a nightmare like payroll you know you just use an off the shelf product like yeah, SaaS true. and it's done or bookkeeping like bookkeeping used to be a nightmare you used to have to take like paper statements and type them into a thing and now all that just happens and so in many ways it's easier than ever um, and, and particularly those types of things that, that are just nightmares for small business are, are now kind of solved. Um, but, uh, but then again, it is harder because, because there's more competition, I think. And I think the, the costs the, to do business are higher than ever as well. Yeah, it's funny. They, they said that uh, computers and technology would make things easier and cheaper. They seem yeah. to have made it harder and dearer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, but if you were part of that tidal wave, you know, there, there was a lot of, there is, was, and is a lot of opportunity in tech. You know, if you, if you saw that, okay, I'm more, you know, like, uh, and for me, you know, I've started the Uber for lawn mowing. I spent 15 years in the landscaping industry. I saw all of the ways that it ran inefficiently and all of the ways it was hard for a homeowner to hire a good lawn mowing service. So I decided to build the technology to make all that run smooth. If you can see things that way and, and want to get into the game of tech and, and build something that is kind of solving your own problems, I think, I think it's a great place to be in terms of it's still very much day one mm. and, and, and in terms of the tidal wave of software eating the world. Did you put your business up for sale that first one or did someone approach you? Uh, so when I sold the first company, uh, I intentionally ran a process to, to get it sold. I had yeah. taken it kind of as far as I could take it. Um, it was 15 years in that company, 150 employees uh, doing over 10 million a year in revenue. And I decided, you know, this is, this is uh, act one of my entrepreneurial journey. And that, that storyline is, is, is reaching the end. So I decided Let's, let's, let's explore and exit. And from the moment I had that idea to the moment I got the deal done was over two years. And so it was a long process of getting the business groomed and getting it to a position yeah. where it could be acquired, but got it done. And it, that doesn't happen very often in, in the landscaping industry, but, uh, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot about, uh, about how to get a business sold by doing that. 
And then I kind of took some time off after that. And the idea for Green Pal came to me and thought, hey, why the hell not? Somebody's going to build this. It might as well be me. So most people would have just gone, I'm going to the pub for two years and uh, just going to have a good time, sit on the laurels and do nothing. I did do that and it got bored. I got bored. Uh, I, uh, I took like that. Yeah. I took like a year off and I remember very clearly one day I, I was in Costa Rica and the mm. biggest problem I had faced that week was the bar ran out of my favorite beer. Uh, and, and so, uh, I was like, I I'm was like, I'm, I'm wired, I'm wired to solve bigger problems than this. And, uh, and, and so I, I thought at that moment, I'm like, I got to get back in the game. I got to start something new. And luckily I didn't know how hard it was going to be. It was kind of naivete as an asset. I didn't know what I didn't know. And, uh, but I recruited two co-founders and we went to work and, and now we're a 10 year overnight success. So you, you said before, and and that's one of the reasons we got you on because you created what you call Uber for grass cutting. Uh, Where did that idea actually come from? Was it, come with your founders or were you sitting in that Costa Rica bar going, you know what? We, everyone gets in an Uber around the world. Why can't we do it with lawnmowers? I mean, how did that come together? It was a couple of things. Uh, I genuinely believed it was a good idea needed to be done. And I, and I saw it happen on a daily basis running my first business. So yeah. as I was growing that company, uh, we no longer did the basic residential lawn mowing services. As time went on, we scaled the business. We went more into like high-end commercial yeah. contracts, six-figure and up contracts. And so, but people would still call our office 20, 30, sometimes many is a hundred a day and, and, and say, Hey, I need you to come cut my yard for my house. And like, well, sorry, we don't do that. Uh, but here are four or five numbers you can call for smaller yeah. service providers. We had a value and it's a value of mine in running business is to always be helpful no matter what. You know, if you just always have that kind of like a mentality of trying to help folks out, that in the end, it'll work out. And so that's how we ran that company is we would keep a list of names and phone numbers yeah. uh, by, the, by the phone and, and, our, and our receptionist would hand them out. And so what would happen is, is these folks would say, uh, oh, well, thank you so much. And then they'll, and, they'll, and they'll call right back like an hour later or a day later and they'll say, hey, I called all those all those guys uh, left five voicemails. One called me back, supposed to have come, but he, uh, to mow, but he didn't. And uh, do you have any others? And so it was like, no good ye- deed goes unpunished. Yeah. And, and so I, uh, I saw in effect that it was really, really difficult for folks just to get hooked up with a good lawn mowing service. I knew that problem existed, dealt with it every day running the first company. Yeah. And, then, and then so all of that, that's the problem. And so then I see the solution is that with mobile technology, you know, we should be able to connect these folks up really quickly. And, and so that was the idea 10 years ago. And here we are 10 years later, it's still the same. It's still the same idea. It's that you should be able to push a button and be able to get pricing and hire somebody to come over your grass in minutes, rather than calling around all over yeah. like Facebook or Craigslist or whatever, you should just be able to pop your address in and get it done. And like, that was the same idea 10 years ago. It's the same thing we're solving today, even though like we have hundreds of thousands of people using the app to get their chore yeah. done. Uh, it's still very much make it smoother, cheaper, faster, more reliable. It's they, They've just launched something in Australia, I think two years ago, where something similar to that, but you can put in any trade, electrician, yeah. plumber, and they come back to you. And I've actually used it. I thought, oh, because my mate of mine who's a plumber hates it. He said, because all they're doing is 
going to the lowest, who can bid the lowest to get the job? You know, but it, it has evolved since then. I didn't yeah. realize how effective it was. I mean, we've all, they, someone said, where did it come from? And I was some, they said, well, it's the new generation that doesn't plan. They want everything instant. So they think they can get someone to instantly cut their lawn. That's right. It's not really and, the case, but you know. Well, that is the uh, expectation a lot of times. And, and so closing the gap of, okay, rather than, you know, you do it the old way, you got to call a dozen people, leave mm. a bunch of voicemails. It might take days. You know, yes. with GreenPal, it takes hours. But we're always trying to make it faster, quicker, cheaper, more reliable, higher quality. And that's all that we do. We've spent a decade building the system to do that. And so for us, focusing on this one chore, making it as, as easy as possible, and also for service providers to make more money with less hassle. You know, they don't have yes. to ride around all over town handing out estimates or passing out flyers. They don't have to have like a, a long accounts receivable. They get paid the very next day for all their yes. work. Uh, everything is handled for them. Uh, that's really uh, because we do that is why we enable homeowners to hire them off the shelf, so to speak. And so just making it a win-win for both sides of the transaction and focusing on just this one chore has kind of been our strategy. That's, you know, that's why, you know, how we've gotten to where we are today is, is just through laser focus and just making one thing as easy as possible. And, you know, Uber, Amazon, all these other companies have conditioned consumers to understand that, yeah, that's my expectation. I should push a button and, sh and it should just be like running water. Yeah. True, and that that running water expectation is what we're driving towards. That's that's the you know getting it to where it's just ubiquitous and perfect all the time. Was it the technology was the hardest thing to overcome when you set this business up, or was it getting people to sign on to be on the app? All of the above. So the the technology execution of it was really hard, particularly because mm -hmm. I didn't know how to write software. My two co-founders did not either. So we mm -hmm. had to we it, we had to like make every mistake. We yep. thought we could we we could delegate it and hire a shop to build it and that was a disaster and so <laughs> so then we like had to teach ourselves how to write yep. code and that took years um, so that was hard but even harder than that is is one thing I didn't understand was it's really difficult when you're inventing a brand new product from scratch that does not exist um, that's a lot harder than than you know running a landscaping company or a yeah. construction company or a traditional business when you're inventing a brand new product it's like an order of magnitude more difficult because people don't know it exists they don't necessarily know to use it they don't know how it works and so you have to overcome all of these things and that was the more challenging piece that i didn't anticipate was that okay this is going to be a lot harder than i thought it was going to be because we have to we have to educate the masses the, to understand you don't have to call 10 people and leave 10 voicemails. You can download GreenPal and just push a button and somebody comes and does it for you. Yeah. And uh, doing that was a lot more challenging uh, than I anticipated. And, you know, the way we got through is we just focused. We focused on one city. Let's just get 100 people in one yeah. city to use it. And if we can do that, I know we can get 1,000. If we can get 1,000, I know we can get 10,000 and so on. Just focusing and celebrating the small wins is how we got through that. Were the landscapers easy to pull on board or were they going, you're mad, mate, this will never work, like they've done most of the time when someone puts, I call you a disruptor. Uh, yeah. Um, comes in and does that, you know. And, and so uh, as far as like where the constraints are to this day, it's still homeowners. It always has been. Like we need more consumers to use it. We can mm. always get uh, suppliers to use it because they can make material income on the platform. But yeah. 
the first year was really tough because the product really sucked. It wasn't good. And, and, uh, and because we needed, honesty. we needed to build out the, the consumer side, you know, yeah. we had to really focus on, on the, 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 the demand side and the supply side would have to, would have to wait. And so the way we got through that was, uh, I needed like 20 of these guys in Nashville to use it. And I would offer them free coaching, free mentorship uh, on how to run their landscaping service. And in exchange for that, they would use my crappy app. And so that kind of bought us some time. Yeah. Let's, okay, let's, let's hand crank the supply side and just focus on the demand side. And that bought us some time to where when these folks came on board, they could at least they could hire the, the service providers and get it done, even though the app was horrible. It, it really almost, it was almost not usable for a while there. And so we just, we just hand cranked through that and did everything we could to, to get to one level to the next. In sales, it's all about building relationship. It's about finding out what your customer wants so you can solve their problem. I mean, that's what I do when I'm training people in sales. How do you make, or how did you make an app do that rather than just be boring and people don't want to use it. Yeah. You really have to hand crank those early days and talk to as many people as possible. Mm. Uh, two, two books that were instrumental to how, how we approached it uh, was the lean startup by Eric Reese. And then his predecessor, uh, his mentor is a guy named Steve blank who wrote a book called the startup owner's manual. Mm. And what those books teach you is you have to get out of the building and go talk to your users, go True. talk to your customers, and particularly in those early days, because they will tell you everywhere where you're coming up short, everywhere where you need to improve, what they wish the product would do, how they normally like get this problem solved. And all of these like insights are teaching you and telling you where you got to focus on improving, how you need to like think about marketing and distributing, uh, distributing the product. And so for us, we like, we lived and died by that. It's particularly in the early days. We made it really easy for folks to reach out to us. You know, my cell number was on every email. Uh, the first thousand people that used the product had my cell number. And, uh, and, and we let that be our free R&D to understand that, okay, we are actually solving a problem that people want solved yeah. uh, and they, they will use this product and keep using it. We just got to really keep our heads down and make these numbers bigger. And I think the, you know, that we had one metric we were, we, we were tracking then and still to this day is how many transactions per week. And yeah. so long as that number is growing, we're doing well. And we set a goal for the first year. We wanted a hundred transactions per week and yeah. we like hit 63 or something. And so it was disheartening. <laughs> But the next year we hit 300 and the year after that we hit like 4,000 and the year after that we hit 10,000. And so we just knew we needed to keep that number growing. And the way we got through like the first, you know, three or four levels of the video game was just really meeting with every single user of our product that we could and letting them tell us what we needed to focus on. How important do you think it is? A lot of people launch a product and they don't have a niche. They just go, we call it shotgun sales. Let's just knock on every door go everywhere and hope we're going to get some sales. You look like you did it in a very controlled way. You were you, you launched it in one area, built it, launched it, built it, and you kept growing. Or you can normally say organically, pardon the pun, but how important is it when you've got a product like yours, which you're a disruptor, you're brand new, to actually focus on how you launch rather than just put it out there and hope for the best? 
I think in the early days, you really do have to go wide because you don't know where you're going to really resonate. So, mm. you know, whether you're a freelancer or you're a marketing agency or whatever, mm. you really do kind of have to take everything that you can get your hands on. A, because you need to pay your bills, but B, you really got to figure out what you're going to be like the best in your market at. And so while we focused on one thing, lawn mm. mowing, you know, we didn't do painting, we didn't do locksmithing, we didn't do roof repair. Uh, but we really uh, went wide in terms of anybody could use it for anything. And, mm. and so when we were doing our early marketing, we passed out door hangers all over Nashville to try to get people to, to use awesome. it. And the first thing we did is we went to the higher end parts of town. We went to like the, the million dollar plus homes mm. and hung out, hung door flyers all over the place, passed out a hundred thousand of them. And, and it was crickets. It was literally crickets, maybe mm. one or two people signed up, but then we went to the working class parts of town, you know, uh, homes that were maybe a third in value, uh, household incomes of, of sub $100,000. And, and we passed up door flyers there. And it was like 10 times the response. And so we began to understand our customer, our user is more the working class folks that just want a lawn mowing service for a good price every yeah. two weeks. It's not the folks hiring professional gardening services. It's not the folks that, that are spending five or 10K a year on lawn maintenance. It's the folks that are spending like 1K a year. And so by going wide and just like marketing to everybody and then figuring out, okay, this is where we, we, our value proposition is the strongest. That's how we were able to get the first hundred thousand and 10,000 people. And now still to this day, that is the primary use case for green pal. It's, it's like, I just want somebody to come mow the yard every two weeks and I don't yeah. want to like spend the arm and a leg doing it. That's the use case for, for the, for the consumers that use our product. A mate of mine threw everything away and started his own lawn mowing business in Australia. And everyone said, you're mad because there's a lawnmower on every bloody corner. He'd never mowed lawns, but I'd worked with him before. And this guy was an amazing work ethic. So he bought a lawnmower, bought a trailer, got his car together. So I think it's three years later now he's employing people. Everything he does is on an iPad. He does a quote, sits there, puts it, bang, it's on your e in your email before you've said goodbye to him. Same thing with his... When he comes over and does your lawn, he sits in his car, hits bang, your invoice is in your email. And when you pay it, it automatically goes against you. It's he yep. set this up. And I look at this guy and go, he's proven that anyone can do anything if they put their mind to it. Yep. Yeah. So, and, and and to that point, that's one reason why it's easier than ever. Back in the day, you used to have to go drive yeah. out to that person's house, leave them up piece of paper yep. in the mailbox or mail them a piece of paper and hopefully they mail you a piece of paper back. Hopefully it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of ways it's easier than ever. Yeah. Uh, and you've got to be willing to apply these, these, these systems into your little business like he has. So names important. You've mentioned the names called green pal. How did you develop your name? And did you have a couple of crash and burns around the name or where, <laughs> yeah. where, where did you get to it? Yeah, we, uh, you know, branding is important. Uh, name's important. Domain name is important. Yeah. Um, so on the one hand, you really want to think about these things, but on the other hand, you really kind of need to like nail it and move on to, to getting yeah. a product in customers' hands. And, and so for us, my two co-founders and I spent a day, uh, a day like on the whiteboard. And we had, we had all kinds of horrible names, like, like Elon, 
uh, e e dash lawn. That sounds like a geeky design. Yeah. Grassifieds. We had some. We had some bad ones. We came up with Green Pal because we don't want. We want to introduce you to your lawn guy forever. And he, like, yeah. he's your pal. He's your bud. Awesome. He's the same guy who's going to come out week in, week out. We help him make his make his business run smoother. And we help you hire him like at a push push of a button. So we wanted that kind of like that essence in the brand. And green, you know, the it's it's the green industry. It's it's this green grass. And yeah. we wanted to, we wanted to have that feeling, that emotion that you think about like green lush grass and the smell of fresh cut grass and so green pal was a was an obvious one and uh we couldn't get the domain name we just like literally in the last year we were able oh, to nice. buy the actual domain name greenpal.com but but uh we, we got one close called your green pal and so for years we operated just with your green pal uh but so that's how we came across the the the, the, the brand and how we developed that but i see a lot of entrepreneurs that will spend like a month or two months or three months trying to like perfect their brand and worried about yeah. like, like, like the, the tone of the, the mood of the color scheme of the website and stuff. <laughs> You've got to get to work. You got to get a product in customers' hands, like develop the brand quickly and then, and then start, start doing actual work. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So how, how big are you now in the States? So we're nationwide in the United States. We were just in one city, Nashville, for like four mm. or five years. Uh, but after we figured out, okay, you push a button, a guy shows up and mows your grass. Uh, we started moving into into every major city in the country. Now we're in every major and mid-market city and in every state. Uh, 300,000 plus people using the, the app to get their grass cut, uh, doing multiple eight figures a year in revenue. Wow. And still, grow, still growing fast. And so we have... We have plans to move into Canada, UK, and Australia yeah. uh, at some point, maybe in the next year or two. And we don't have any plans to go in any other uh, industries. We just want to focus on this one. And the other thing that's interesting is we're, we're self-funded. We haven't taken on any outside capital, which awesome. is pretty rare for, for tech companies. You know, yeah. my, my two co-founders and I own all of the business, which is nice. If someone here is sitting here listening to this podcast and they've got, they've got their own idea for their own business and their own name, if someone said to you, why do you think you've been so successful? What is the key to Green Pal now going over the whole country in America? What would you say to them? I think it's focus. It's, it's, it's relentlessness. Mm-hmm. It's, it's consistency. I think if like there's one superpower that my team and I have, it's just consistency, like showing up day in, day out, yeah. focusing on two or three things that we need to get done and not worrying about anything else. Uh, a relentless, like monodical improvement of the product, yeah. uh, not, not resting on our laurels, understanding that we can get quotes back cheap, uh, faster. They can be cheaper. They can be yeah. more reliable. So constantly making the experience better and better and better listening to, uh, users of the, of the product, uh, still to this day, I do at least one hour, sometimes as many as five hours a day of actual live chat, uh, because I don't want there to be a gap between, yeah. uh, you know, the, the customer and the founder. And so, uh, which happens a lot. Uh, there's a, there's a gap between customer logic and founder logic. And so I think that's our superpowers. It's just consistency, removing all the friction from our users and, and us 
and and just being relentless about making it better and better and better and more delightful for people to use it. And and then all, uh, if you're doing those things, <clears throat> you'll know really quick if you're if you're on to something or not. Yeah. Um, you know, if 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 you, you notice that people are using it but not continually using it, whatever it is you're doing, uh, and, and you notice that there's just no appetite for what it is, you'll you'll pivot. You'll you'll move on to something else. For yeah. us, you know, we we were kind of lucky in a sense that the problem and the solution uh, was a, was was one that needed to exist in the world, and and we just kept going on that one problem and making it easier and easier. Do you think it's one part of your success? Also, is it's just so bloody simple. Yeah, simplicity is 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 like you need to be able to explain what it is you do to Homer mm. Simpson. Uh, maybe Homer Simpson drunk, you know, needs <laughs> to be able to use your product. You know, that's, that's I think that's table stakes today. It, and being able to communicate that clearly, you know, with with no jargon and then no no fancy words is 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 something that applies to what we do. And as part of my, you know, philosophy and style, and I like that, you know, and, and, uh, I, th- I think, you know, it's gotta be like, you know, guys like Steve jobs and Jeff Bezos and, and, uh, they've taught us that, you know, simplicity is everything, you know, it's yeah, got that, like these days that's got to be core to what you're doing. Uh, if not, it's going to be tough. What would you say to someone now, if they said, okay, I've got a new product I want to launch. <clears throat> if you had to give them three quick points on what they should do straight up to get going. What would you say to them? If it's a tech product, um, the, the closer, the shorter the distance you can make from where you're at today to getting something in the hands of people, the better. So, because yeah. because you really don't know anything until you get a product in, in people's hands. And so yeah. uh, like, like that, the, the quote, the Mike Tyson quote, everybody has a, uh, a plan that they get punched in the nose yeah. is real. Like er, no product, no idea survives first contact with the customer. And so you really, everything you have is, is this assumption until you get to that point. Yeah. So we re- reduce that to the shortest amount possible. And, and like these days it's easier than ever because now you've got like low code and no code, like prototyping types yeah. of software that you can, you can make a prototype and just see if you can get 10 people to use it. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. Um, the, the second thing is like, look at this, like a video game, almost, you know, like look at it like 10 levels yeah. and you just need to get through level one. You, you gotta, you know, super Mario brothers, you gotta throw up the flag at the end of level one. And the problem is, is most new startup founders and most new entrepreneurs are worried about Bowser, you know, when they they just need to get through level one. And so mm-hmm. whatever level one is, you know, it might be 10 customers, hundred customers, just do everything like like work like your life depended on it to get through level one, two, and three, and then worry about those other things later yeah. uh, is, is another, another piece of advice. Third piece of advice I'll give is, is like the problem you're solving and the solution is important. But on top of that, which is just as important is distribution, marketing. Yeah. How are you going to get your first hundred customers? How are you going to get your first thousand customers? You need to be innovating and thinking about that day one as well, because Poor distribution and poor marketing is what kills most startup ideas. It's not poor product, it's poor distribution. So be thinking about that in tandem with whatever it is, you, you know, whatever problem in the world you're looking to solve. They, they do say you don't have to be the best product, you just have to be the best marketed product. Yeah, in many ways that is that is true. And um, 
you know, but on the other hand, nothing kills a bad idea like great marketing. So, so it's like, you got to have both, you know, like, like great marketing kills a bad product quicker than ever. It just accelerates the inevitable. And so you see this a lot, particularly in like Silicon Valley backed startups is they'll, they'll pour $10 million on something that's not ready. And it's just like, uh, it's like pouring, like, uh, it's like attaching rocket boosters to the side of a wooden barn you know, just blows up. So you got to have both. You got to have uh, mm. a good product, a good uh, problem you're solving. People want to use it. People want to keep using it. Then you also have to have good distribution. They have to be in tandem with one another. Working in partnership with other people is like, it's Russian roulette. It either works or it doesn't. My father went into business <coughs> towards the end with a, one of his best mates. The biggest mistake they ever did. Yeah. They were, they were both brilliant at what they did, but two different styles. How do you manage your partnership? Because you've got a very successful business. I'm sure that they're all as driven as you. How That's, does yeah, I got lucky. Uh, you know, so my my advice is, if, if at all possible, go it alone and try to hire out the things you need done through mm-hmm. freelancers and contractors until you can afford full-time employees. That's step one. Um, don't bring on a co-founder unless you can't imagine doing the business without them. And it's almost like, you know, we, we sit here and, you know, before we get married to somebody, you know, we'll date for a year or yeah. two or three, and then we get engaged for a year, then we get married. And you really need to think about like your, your co-founding relationship as serious as that, because if the business is going to be successful, you're going to spend more time with this co-founder than you are your actual spouse. Yeah. And, and uh, you're going to spend more time with them. Like, the business may last longer than most marriages, sadly. And uh, it's also easier to get a divorce in a spousal relationship. (laughs) than it is to unwind a a business partnership, you know? And so think about, think about it with that kind of gravity, find your, your business partners, you know, the soulmate, if you will. Um, And, and they really need to compliment your skills. Like Paul Graham uh, calls it a hacker and a hustler. And you really need to have somebody that compliments your skills I got very lucky. I I recruited two people that I knew for a long time could trust. And they had one thing. They they had a chip on their shoulder to be a part of something big and great. And I knew so long as we were sufficiently motivated, the three of us, that that we would figure it out. And Mm. that's what ended up happening. And so I got lucky. Um, I wouldn't be where I am today without them. Yep. But uh, luck's not a strategy. Try to go it alone. And then if you, if, and then, and then if you want a co-founder, let that happen organically, maybe be proactive about it, but, uh, but don't do it unless you can't imagine not doing the business without them. And another thing I see a lot is people will want a co-founder cause it kind of like, it kind of like validates them in their thoughts that yeah. am I doing the right thing? And it's like, well, maybe if somebody else is crazy enough to do it with me, I'm also, I'm doing the right thing with my life. And so don't let that be the reason for getting a co-founder. So what's Brian Clayton's next big idea? For me, um, you know, that's one thing about me is like, I'm always going to be working on my best idea, no matter what. And, and that is what got me through a lot of the hard years at green pal was, you know, it's like, well, the numbers suck. Uh, but you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be working on my best idea. So let's go to the office and grind. And fortunately, I'm not terribly creative. And so this is my best idea. It was 10 years ago, still is today. And I'm having fun. I'm having fun yeah. running the company. I'm, oh, uh, you wow. know, our company, the, awesome. the, team, the team is like 30 something people now and, and we're profitable. And so a lot of, in a lot of ways, it's like, it's fun. 
and I'm going to keep running it as long as it's fun. You know, uh, it, once we get over a hundred million dollars a year, I, I may uh, have outgrown my, you know, my, my skill set, and maybe it'll be time to bring in a professional CEO, but as long as I'm having fun and the numbers are going up and, and I, I feel good about it, I'm going to keep doing this. And I, I don't have any other good ideas. So I'm just going to keep throwing everything I've got into this one until until the wheels fall off. I, I I'd probably disagree with you there. I'd say that you probably <laughs> do have the good ideas. They're just sitting there. They haven't come through yet. So you know. <laughs> speaking well, of good that. speaking of good ideas, what's your favorite restaurant in Nashville? Ooh, uh, favorite restaurant in Nashville. Well, the thing is, Nashville's restaurant scene has blown up in the last ten years. Yeah. Um, but but we have a, something called hot chicken, and so we're we're known for that. It's basically it's basically a fried chicken that's got like a real 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 spicy hot sauce on it. And there's yeah. a the the OG hot chicken restaurant is Prince's Hot Chicken in Nashville. So if you're ever in Nashville, go eat at Prince's. It's really good. And that's what we're known for. That's our thing. Hot chicken. Is there anyone in the world that you would invite to go on if you've that you haven't met to sit down and enjoy a, a slice of hot chicken? Oh yeah, you know uh, the 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 CEO, uh, not the former CEO, founder of of Uber, Travis Kalanick. Yeah. I've always thought uh, was a was a smart, ruthless renegade of an entrepreneur yeah. guy. I really admire. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to have a beer and, a, and some hot chicken with, with that dude. He's, he's, he's a cool guy. Now, mate, you, look, you're an, truly an inspiration to a lot of people who are thinking <laughs> of doing it and you've done it. I mean, we all hear these people on podcasts and standing up on stage, espousing all this stuff, and they've never worked for themselves in their life. They've never lost money starting something up or put the hours in. If someone wanted to get in touch with you or someone wanted to know more about what you do and how you did, how would they find you? Yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. Uh, if if you're listening to somebody or you're trying to learn uh, how to do something from somebody, make sure they've already done what it is you're trying to do. That, true, that's, true. that's a piece of advice. Um, but anybody who wants to get at me, you can hit me up. On, I put most of my time on on Instagram in terms of social media. Oh, yeah. uh, Brian M. Clayton, drop me a follow, drop me a DM there. Um, anybody in the United States listening to this doesn't want to mow your yard, just download Green Pal in the app. <laughs> Well, I will put the link up in, yeah. the, uh, in the show notes. That would be absolutely awesome. So final, quick final question, as we say, before we wrap up today. What's your biggest bit of advice you're going to give people now who are looking at, we're coming out of COVID, they don't want to go and work in the office anymore. They want to do a startup. Just one piece of gold or green, as we, we would call it, at a lawn that had come from Brian Clayton that they could put everything on. Yeah, be uh be scared of what five years from now looks like. Um, I use that sometimes. I, I yeah. use that to manage my personal psychology. So really, really, really close your eyes and think like five years from now, I'm still in the same crappy job. I'm making this. I got the same crappy car. I'm living in the same crappy house. Um, you know, and I'm not living the life I want to live. Yeah, like let that scare you to take action today to get started building your business. Your business can be the vehicle that improves your station in life. Certainly has been for me. And so I do that. I, I scare myself regularly and like, okay, 10 years from now, I'm still doing the same thing. And that scares me to take action today. So that's, that's the advice I'll, I'll, I'll leave your listeners with is, is like literally fast forward the story forward. And if you don't like how it looks, let that motivate you. Man, I scare myself every morning when I get up and look in the mirror. So I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> 
I feel you on that. We're not getting any younger, man. This time is flying by. As I say to people, I've got a good head for radio. There you go. <laughs> on that note, I'm going to say thank you so much. It's been a total pleasure talking to you this morning, Brian. And we finish all of our podcasts with have a groovy day. Thank <laughs> you.